So are you ready for the big game? Anybody out there? I see some jerseys. Yeah. You ready? I think everybody's ready. Modesty forbids me to say who's beat the Patriots in the past before. Um, I'm hoping that another team is able to do that today. Fly, Eagles, fly. I'm with you. Let's go. Let's, let's beat them. I'm with you. Okay. So before every game, football game, and any kind of competition, there are always ground rules. You know what ground rules are? Just the basics of the game that are clear and presented in front of everyone before the game starts. Why does that matter? Because how will you know what pass interference is if you don't know beforehand what it is and what the consequences? How will you know how many timeouts you'll have? All kinds of parts of the game that will occur to know in advance what the ground rules helps. Because if you're surprised, if in the middle of the game there's a hit to the helmet and you didn't know in advance that that's a penalty, Boy, it makes things go south quickly. Knowing in advance ground rules always helps. And one of the things we do around here is we shoot straight. We talk straight and share the straight stuff of following Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. I feel like in modern Christianity here in the United States, there's a lot of talk about following Jesus and all the good stuff. But there's not a lot of conversation about how hard it is. There's not a lot of conversation and straight talk about how difficult it will be to follow Jesus. Yes, following Jesus, I believe, is the greatest decision you could ever make because with Christ, you have everything you need for this life and the life to come, but it does not negate the fact that it's going to be hard. Knowing that in advance helps and if we lean into this fight, so we call in this sermon series Fight to the Finish because it is going to be a fight, and if we lean into the fight, which is God's design for us as his children, if we lean into it, if we know what's going to happen, we kind of know the ground rules of how, what to expect, and we lean into the fight, it allows us to go through the fight in a way that honors God and brings about something far more glorious than if we fall asleep and get sidelined. So we're in this sermon series in 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, open them up, turn them on. 1 Peter chapter 5. It's actually the last chapter that Peter writes in this first letter. And I think he's, he's going to lay out ground rules. Now, why he decides at the end of the book to include ground rules, I don't know. But I think there's something practical here, ground rules, about how to make it through this fight to the finish in a way that honors God. So I'm going to discuss four different things with you that he's going to tell us in the face of hardship, be submissive. When life is difficult, be humble. As difficulty plays out, be alert, he's going to say. The last thing, ground rule he's going to give is expect the fact that God's going to be gracious and share his glory with you. So I'm going to unpack that phrase by phrase as you follow with me. 1 Peter 5, and just this basic reminder that Peter's talking to Christians, and some of the Christians he's talking to are actually facing persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want them to be surprised by this, but equipped in the face of persecution, difficulty, suffering. Early in the letter, we learn that the difficulty that we face proves the genuineness of our faith, which means when we go through difficulty as Christ followers, do we believe and follow a living God, or is our God dead? Is our God strong and capable and above and beyond all that we face, or is he weak and neutered? 
When you go through difficulty as a Christ follower, our lives show whether he is alive or dead by how we live and choose to go through difficulty. So he starts out with these ground rules, and he's going to start with leaders and followers. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Elders, be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. He's talking about elders. He doesn't mean people that are older. He's really talking about those appointed to lead in the local church. They may be older, they may be younger, but they have a leadership role in the church. And Peter says, as someone also who is a leader, an elder, be shepherds of God's flock. Be shepherds of God's flock. That's a submission statement. That's an invitation, a command for elders, leaders, to be submissive. Because did you see he said God's flock? He didn't say your flock, your church, your ministry. He said God's flock, God's church. You are God's shepherd. He explains further the character of a leader. He says submit to God by willingly watch over, watching over God's family. Submit to God by not pursuing dishonest gain. Submit to God by being eager to serve, not playing a power position. Submit to God by being an example of how you live out your faith on good days and bad days. Display to the people you lead authentic following of Jesus. The ups and the downs. Be faithful. This is all an invitation, a command to them to submit to God in everything they do as leaders. And when the chief shepherd appears, he says, Jesus the senior pastor of the church of Jesus Christ, you will be rewarded for your submission to God. So leaders, here's how I want you to live. Submit to me. Take care of these people. Don't do it thinking about yourself and how you gain. Submit and follow me and you'll be rewarded. He goes on to talk to everyone in verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. You who are younger, again, I don't believe he's speaking about age, but everyone else, all those who are not in specific leadership, submit yourself to your leadership, to your elders. In this place in the chapter, in the whole book, I think what he's trying to say to all of us is that when life is hard, every person in the church of Jesus Christ, we can be submissive. God designed the universe with authority and submission that we voluntarily place ourselves under leaders. And in the local church, there are leaders and there are those who are not leading. And when we place ourselves under the leadership, there's a checks and balance that goes on where the leaders are supposed to submit to God and those who are following are supposed to submit to leaders. Now, I know what you're thinking, many of you. Like, listen, I've seen some wacky church leaders. I'm not submitting to them. Those dudes, those people are crazy. We've probably seen brokenness in leadership where we've seen leaders, especially in the church, abuse their power, exploit people, look after having to make more money or more fame. 
who have different lives when they are out front in front of the church, but who they are in the hallways and in their homes, totally different. So we've seen the abuse of power in the church. And because of that, we hear this and we go, I'm not submitting to leaders. But really what what Peter's trying to convey is that this is God's design as a means of grace, as as a way to help us, that when we go through difficulty, there are authority structures that if we would all live within submission to God, our own gifts, our own callings, and we would follow him, honor him. There's protection there. There's peace there. There's help there. Because he says, interesting, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, the leaders who submit will be rewarded. But other places in the New Testament were told that leaders will also be held to higher accountability. And so God will not only judge leaders with a reward who have been submissive to him, he will also discipline leaders who are power hungry. There's a checks and balance for those in leadership, but he's saying to those who are not in leadership, your role is to follow, to submit. Now that doesn't mean you don't ask questions, it doesn't mean you don't think, it doesn't mean you don't have something to say or add or to make things in the church better by how you talk and how you lead. It does mean that you respect the fact that there are leaders that are put in place by God who are here to be a blessing to you and to guide you. And maybe when you're facing something difficult in your life, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, maybe when you're sick or struggling or you're going through a difficult transition or you have to make a really important decision, did you ever think that you could come to the elders, the leaders of the church, and ask for prayer, wisdom, and counsel? Because that's submitting to the authority of the church. That's putting yourself under, and God's grace could come to you in a unique way through asking for wisdom, prayer, and counsel from the elders and pastors of Faith Church. We want to serve you. Ground rule. When life is hard, be submissive. Leaders and those who are not leading. And when life is hard, be humble. Check out verse 5. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I am so glad you all clothed yourself today with something. Can I get an amen? Everybody woke up today and clothed themselves with something. And what Peter is saying is when you face hardship, you can clothe yourself with humility or arrogance. What are you clothing yourself with? What are you putting on? Are you putting on your tough guy skin? I've got this, I'm smart enough, my education, my wisdom, my problem solving? Or are you clothing yourself with, God, I know who I am, I'm your son, your daughter. I know I don't have it all together, but you do. I trust you, so I clothe myself in humility before you. I trust you and not myself. So it's a daily, sometimes day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision to wrap yourself in, I'm a child of God, I am your servant. You, God, are my protector and defender. Because here's why he says, be humble. This is so simple. He says, God is in opposition to the proud. He's in opposition to the self-centered, self-focused, self-effacing. But he shows favor, gives grace to the humble. So we can choose to put on arrogance, self-confidence, self-focus, And he's saying God's in opposition to that. That's not the clothes he wants you to wear. 
His favor doesn't rest on those who wrap themselves with, I've got this. His grace, his favor rests on those who go, I clothe myself in you, Jesus, in your hope, in your truth, in who you say I am. That's what I will wear when I face hardship. And when that occurs, God's favor rests on you. God is in opposition to the arrogant, but gives favor and grace to the humble. So as the church of Jesus Christ, what do we do? I've had people say, can I ever get called into the principal's office at Faith Church? Could I ever get suspended? Could I ever get kicked out of Faith Church? And the answer is yes. Yes, you can. If God is in opposition to those who clothe themselves with arrogance, then the church of Jesus Christ should be in opposition to those who clothe themselves in arrogance too and say, oh no, we're not going to throw you out, but you can't live that way here. You can't be arrogant, self-focused, self-inflating and think, oh, the church will just say, oh, that's cute. No. God's grace and favor rests on those who are humble. And he gives us practical advice of how to become humble in verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It's choosing to allow God to be the one who lifts you up. Not your abilities, not your education, not your cash, not your health, not your self-worth. Let God be the one who lifts you up because he says he cares for you. He's the one who cares for you. Humble yourself and let God lift you up in due time under his mighty hand. When things get super hard, he continues in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him. This is saying, Christ follower, you're going to be anxious about things. There's going to be difficult moments of anxiety, fear, stress. When those difficulties come, what do you do? What do you clothe yourself with? What do you do with those fears and anxieties? Question for you. Does God care for you? I mean, every individual in this room and online, you can answer this separately. Does God care for you? I know how I would answer that question and why I would answer it the way I would. For you, does God care about you? Does God know you? Does God pay attention to you? Does God understand you? Does God love you? Answer that question. Because if that's true, then how you respond to anxiety and fear changes. If he doesn't care about you, then keep your anxiety and your problems to yourself. Hold on to him all day long. He's not real. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. I'm going to go through this myself. But if you're here today and you say, no, God does care for me. He is strong. He is capable What do I do now with these anxieties and fears? I can do something with them. I can hold them to myself or I can... He uses interesting language. With your anxieties and fears, just hand them over to God gently like this. With your anxiety and fear, say, God, I invite you to take my anxiety and fear. Please take my anxiety and fear. Would you have my anxiety and fear? That's not the kind of language he uses at all. Do you see what he says? What does he say? Cast all your anxiety on him. Now, cast is an interesting word. It's not offer it to him in a nice, sweet voice. Oh, Father, here. Cast is a violent word. It's boom. There you go. It's a dump truck 
full of anxiety that unloads and dumps on a strong God who catches it. There's a difference between going to God with my anxiety and fear and saying, you care and you can help. But, okay, here's a little bit for you. Can you handle it? I'm going to keep a little bit back for myself because I'm strong and smart. But, okay, God, would you help me? Would you bless me? Please, God, would you help me? Would you bless me? God, please, would you help me? Would you bless me? No, don't laugh. I'm sad that this is the way people live. God, would you please, and you kind of open, like, maybe you're strong enough, maybe you can handle this, and we pull it back, and we try to solve it ourselves, offer it a little bit more, and then we pull it back and fix it with our own money, with our own doctor, with our own time, with our own, with our own, with our own, instead of saying, no, it's yours, take it. It's burying me. I can't hold it anymore, but you can, because you care, so I cast it on you. I drop it on you. You're the only one who can hold it. And for me, as an anxious person, you may not believe this, I have anxiety. I have to cast my cares on God. Sometimes, moment by moment, I have to dump it on Him. Hour by hour, through certain days where I'm just riddled with fear about my health, about my future, about my circumstances, God, take it until He takes it. And it's off my shoulders. And I go, you care. I trust you. When life is difficult, ground rule, dump it on God. Third ground rule when you face difficulty, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. We don't talk like this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. He wants us to know if we're going to fight to the finish, life is going to be hard. You have to be alert to your enemy. We don't talk about this a lot. We don't talk about the fact that there is an enemy of God. There is an enemy of every son, of every daughter, called the devil. And he has a force of demons. I like what C.S. Lewis says about the devil, and demons. He says there's a problem on two sides of this issue. There are people that say there is no devil and no demons, and they deny his existence. Problem. There's another problem that sees demons around every corner, fixated on demons, afraid of demons, wondering what they're going to do to me next. Peter's saying that's not the solution either. It's right in the middle. He's saying stay alert to the fact that he is real, don't be afraid of him. You don't have to be afraid of him because the one who is in you is greater. You don't have to be afraid, but understand this is a real deal thing. There are forces in darkness. If that's not true, then you're not, you're not reading the Bible and you're not experiencing the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. But what does it look like here in modern America? What does demon possession look like here in the United States? I think a lot of us, we, we don't see it, but we, so we therefore think it's not there, but maybe, I'm just submitting ideas to you, maybe the crazy opioid addiction problem has something to do with an evil one. Maybe the way we all try to numb out from our pain and our problems, maybe that numbing out of addiction, of all kinds of addictions, maybe that's the evil one tempting us, distracting us, sidelining us, maybe the 
incredible amount of fear and anxiety and loneliness and suicide in our world, the rise of depression and the gripping reality that people face, oh, maybe the evil one is at play in that to distract and destroy. Maybe our American fixation on sexuality and exploration of sexuality and addiction to sexuality and making sexuality the most important thing of our lives, maybe that's a way that the evil one distracts us from the things that matter most. Perhaps the greatest way Satan is at work in America today is in our affluence and apathy. We're asleep to the fact that there is really good and really evil, that there's really a God and really demons, that angels are real and demons are real, and we're asleep because we're focused on our college education and our 401k and getting insurance for our car and upgrading our internet service and being comfortable and making sure we have the right food at the Super Bowl and all these things that we do to preserve our image and pad our future and vacation and fun and ha-ha, life is great. Maybe that apathy, that comfort is the greatest way the evil one distracts us from reality. You want to fight to the finish? Be aware, because anything that pulls you away, whether it's subtly or overtly, anything that distracts or destroys your faith in Jesus Christ, anything that sidelines you and makes you think God isn't real and doesn't care, Maybe, just maybe, that's an act of our enemy that's prowling around looking to devour you, and he, he has just ways of subtly distracting and isolating and sidelining and making you go to sleep so that you're not awake to the greatest reality of the universe, and that's Jesus one, that Jesus is greater than all of these things, that with him is eternal joy, and he has a purpose for our lives which is beyond what we see day-to-day in our comfort in America, you want to finish strong, be awake to the fact that there are real devils and demons out there trying to distract and destroy. But don't be afraid. The one in you is greater. Lastly, Peter encourages believers, when life is hard, expect God's grace and His glory. Expect it. You know, we go through Christian life all the time. Some of you are followers, most of you are followers of Jesus Christ. We go through this faith in Christ, and life is difficult. Sometimes I think we look for in a given day all the problems, all the hardship. We're focused on, "Mm, life is so hard for me. I'm so stressed out. We're so focused on all the problems, all the pain, all the heartache, all the difficulty, all the anxiety that we fail to expect the fact that our Father in heaven loves us. And He is a giver of good gifts, and He's constantly giving good gifts to His children. Look at verse 10. And the God of all grace, He says this in light of, okay, be submissive, be humble, be alert to the evil one, and and the God of all grace who called you, out of, uh, called you in his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Do you believe in a strong God or a weak God? Do you believe in a God that's awake and sees and knows and tells you in advance it's going to be hard? who cares and loves and will drop on you the right dose of power when you need it? 
Do you believe in that God that cares for you or a God that's dead and weak and neutered and not worth singing about? See, you choose. Expect that this God is going to deliver grace to you today. Expect it, because that's his nature. He can't not bless you. It may come in very tiny ways, ways that maybe others wouldn't notice. Sometimes it comes in big and miraculous ways, but he is always gracious, always kind, always merciful, always powerful. So these are the ground rules. Know them in advance. Difficulty's going to come. You could submit yourself to yourself or to the church of Jesus Christ. You could be humble or you could be arrogant. You can be awake to the fact that we have an evil one and not be afraid of him, or you can fall asleep and just watch how apathetic and pathetic your life will be. And you can be aware of the fact that God wants to give good gifts to his children all the time. Watch for his hand. See what he does. Pray with me. Father in heaven, the television and the morning call, radio and the internet, most, most of the things, inputs that we're getting in our world today are not talking about the things that your scriptures teach. So for some of us, this is new, difficult, different kinds of teaching. I pray that whatever is true with what I said today, that you would apply it to the hearts of my friends in this room. Some in this place who don't know you and who are just exploring, I pray that they would be open, and they would seek you, they would find you, because you're not far from any of us. For the sons and daughters in this place today who are going through difficulty and, and navigating ups and downs, make us submissive to you and to your church. Make us humble. Allow us to cast our cares on you and clothe ourselves in humility before you. Make us awake and alert to the fact that there are deceptions and distractions and a real enemy that can sideline us. But the one who is in us is greater and we can never be snatched from your hand. We can be distracted and sidelined but you are king and victorious. So when we repent and come back to you, when we awaken again to who you are, you always receive us and you make good things out of even sideline faith. God, would you make us expectant to see, open our eyes to see how great and glorious and gracious you are? Would you awaken us to your goodness in new ways this week? that while this week we'll have challenges, surprise us with exciting,